You're listening to The Photography Show. This is episode three for August 1st, 2010, Getting Better. Well, I, I think, you know, a good way to start this whole thing off is whether you want to become a pro or whether you just want to become a pro-like photographer. Yes. I mean, whether you're, an, whether you're shooting for money or not, I mean, that's the only difference in being a professional or not a professional. You still, even if, if, if you're shooting for a hobby, want to have professional-like skills. Yeah, that's a very good point because there are a lot of people, like some of the better photographers I can think of are not professionals. You know? That's right. And that's only probably because they don't shoot for money. Exactly. They, they shoot for themselves, but their, their pictures will blow you away. So we're just going to talk about today different ways to, to learn photography, to get really to get really good at it, whether you have the time to go to a four-year school or not, or whatever, the, the, uh, we've all taken different avenues. So uh, yeah. neither one of us uh, went to school for photography. We both went to school for other things and then later decided that we wanted to become photographers, both as hobbyists and professionally eventually. And um, and so we got there through these ways that we're going to discuss. Yeah, and you know it's kind of funny you just mentioned that because I saw a blog post recently, and this this was it was not on photography specific, but it was kind of a sarcastic you know jab at, at you know you see all these you know top ten ways you can become it was on writing and it was top ten ways you can become a better writer and and the blog post was one one top way you can become a better writer or no it was the one top quality great writers have in common they write. You know, right. and, I, and I think it's also the same thing. You know, we're talking about pro versus not pro, and that you can be very good if you're not a pro. And and I think that's the one thing that those people have in common all the time is they shoot constantly. Right. You know, exactly. And which is fine, but you know, you get to a point where okay, well, how can I take this further? And 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 where does my education begin? And you know, I think there's the most obvious. There's the four year program, which which you were just saying we didn't do. Um, Right. If you're straight out of high school and you already know that early on that you want to become a photographer, which some people do, I've met quite a few people and know know a few people that um, right out of high school they're already winning awards and doing great things in photography in high school or just they they have a passion for it. Maybe they just shot for the yearbook or whatever, but right. they know that's what they want to go into. If you're that early in in this in the stage of wanting to become a photographer, then of course going to a four year school or any kind of profession, you know, school where you can get a degree in photography would be the best route to start off with. Yeah, I think you just said something very important if you're at that stage in your life. And, you know, I, I, I think you could probably agree with this because, you know, once you get older and, you know, no matter what, even if you don't even go into photography, having a degree is a really important thing. And, yes. you know, mine is not in anything related to what I do, <laughs> but I'm glad I have it and, and it was important to get, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if I were where I am now, back when I was coming out of high school, I think photography would have been something I pursued, you know, um, and trying to get with instructors. Because I think the, the cool thing about that is you're going to be around other people who are in you know same interest. You're going to be around teachers that are able to mentor you, and uh, you're going to get a very well-rounded education in it. You know? Exactly. And usually, almost in every major city uh, that I can think of, there's either a, a four-year university that is uh, kind of your art school, kind of like uh, North Texas University of North Texas here right. is in the Dallas area. Uh, there, there are there are big art schools. So if you were wanting to major in photography around here, you would probably go there for a four-year school. Um, that you can also go to an, an art school of some kind. Um, there's a ton of great art schools around the country out there, and yeah, all and, of them have well, wonderful the, photography programs. The difference too, you know, is is okay. You have a university which is a more rounded curriculum, and then you have like specialist schools, conservatories, things like that right. that are going to be exclusively photography. Like if you went to Art Center in Los Angeles or something like yes. that, they're not going to make you take a bunch of English classes and stuff like that. But they don't give you a um, like a bachelor's degree when you're done or a master's degree. It's it's a certificate or an associate. Or even uh, Art Institute here in Dallas, the same thing. Nobody's going to look down their noses at you if you say you graduated from uh, Art Center. No, no, no. Uh, with a, a degree in photography. And, uh, you know, and I, I don't say either one's wrong. It's just depending on which way you want to go. Uh, the uh, only thing that I think would might make a little bit of a difference is depending if you wanted to teach one day le- what level it would be. That's the only time I've right. ever been asked to show my degree is when I That's got right. my job teaching teach community a college. Major university or, or anywhere. Yeah, when I started teaching at Brookhaven, they they require. In fact, I had a side story here. We'll we'll rattle this, but they uh, uh, they I had to order my transcripts from UNT, and of course I order them, and like four weeks go by because they're not fast, and and uh, they, they send me this 
letter basically saying, sorry, we can't release, release this because you have an unpaid fine. And I'm like, so it, anyway, long story short, it turns out I owed him like 70 bucks for a, for a parking ticket. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's holding me back. <laughs> they got me at the end, yeah. Well, they, they always said, well, you won't get your diploma. And I got my diploma. <laughs> Apparently, they got me on the other end. And, and so I said, well, you know, a parking ticket, $70 is awfully expensive. She goes, well, all the late fees that have racked up. I thought, well, if I knew I had the ticket... <laughs> It's like if you check out a, a book and you return it 20 years later, <laughs> Yeah, it now costs you $50,000. The library police come get you. But you're right, though. Um, if you're if teaching and, – and if you did want to teach one day and all you had was an associate's degree, it wouldn't be a hard thing to go back and get a bachelor's. But no. that's the only difference really between the two. Other than that, I mean, you went to school. That's the right. bottom line. So school, school is yeah, first thing on the list. And um, – the other thing that we were kind of want to talk about is once you get out of school, if you've gone that route, is assisting, which has been um, protocol f- since the beginning of photography and is maybe not quite as big as it used to be now or, or kind of dying out a little bit because there's so many other routes with digital photography and everything. Yeah, I think but, that's the deal. But yeah, is, is that it would be good to get to come out of school and maybe first thing or even while you're in school or your last year of school try to get with a major photography uh, agency and, sh- and shoot with them or assist for them. Yeah, and th- that's an important thing, too, because let- let's say that you're you're further in life and, and you're not interested in the school route, maybe you've already done it or something like that, then, you know, being an assistant, it's hard to get. What you want to do is find the best people out there and the people that you're going to learn the most from. And I think that, uh, you know, in doing that, you're going to have to have some kind of resume, even if you're just making coffee and schlepping gear for some of these people. But, right. it's, you know, shoot for the stars. I mean, if you want to do wildlife photography find somebody from national geographic work for peanuts and get out there because you're there to learn not to right. bank you know? and you're going to do a ton of learning you're going to do as much learning being an assistant as you did uh when you were learning in school oh yeah uh, just watching them just yeah. setting up for them and learning all the technical side of everything and how to set up all the gear and and see how they're shooting when you start shooting you're going to use these these same techniques well i think importantly too and this this was a hole in my education that i had to go learn the hard way but but you also learn how to deal with clients and people and like the thing that they're not going to teach in school and uh, personalities and you know, all right. that kind of crazy. Or, you know, what you do when you're in the middle of nowhere and your batteries run out and you have no power. You know, yeah. all those little things are, are, are what you're going to really learn assisting somebody who's really good. And, um, you know, if you're interested in being going the professional route, I, you know, it's funny because we were kind of saying there's so many different ways you can go. I, I still think that it's very valid and even recommended if you're if you're starting out and uh, you just got to do something, um, you know, go, go that route. You're going to learn so much more doing that than you you are. I mean, you'll learn it on your own, but it, it's it's more expensive. If you can learn from someone else in any kind of uh, you know way, that's that's a good way to go. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and the other thing too, we we're talking about um, you know on the school front. Uh, it, let's say that you know you're not interested in the school route, or you have a full time job, or whatever, and you did want to take classes there. You know, we were saying earlier, there's a lot of community colleges, uh, things like that. That if you want to go learn darkroom, or if you want to learn digital, or whatever it is you want to do, there's there's specific classes that you could just take at night and right and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, both of us have done that. Yeah. Um, even, you know, just after our, our primary education, like you got your degree in what? Music. Music. I got my degree in graphic design. So neither one of us got our degree, degree in photography. Uh, later on in our, in, you know, uh, as we started working and everything, we decided that photography was a big part of our life and we wanted to pursue it to become better photographers. And one of the major things that we did was because we both worked full-time jobs at the uh, probably at the time you worked for yourself and I had a full-time job with an agency or a small graphic design group and so uh, one of the things we, we both would do I think from time to time is m- go take some night classes of different kinds or just uh, you know some kind of photography schooling at night have, have yeah. you taken night classes anywhere um, I have I teach night classes I have not personally taken like a photography class anywhere but um, it, it, it's interesting though the classes that I teach though you know mine is in the evening and it's a little bit more of an advanced class but it's really cool because I get people i mean it's a weird it's a weird but very cool mix of people because you'll get um you know kids that are right out of high school and they're they're trying to pursue you know what they want and they're there and then you have older people that have come back and they're just trying to get a grip on it and and get better at what they do anyway it's a great mix and it's kind of i guess sort of what we're targeting today is just you know a wide range of people just whether you're interested in making your living doing this or or just interested in being a better photographer you know um and i think that that a lot of uh, community colleges with night classes like that are um I think they're going to be geared towards that. You know, just it's just a common interest thing. It's not a uh, trying to hammer you to uh, you know go pro or make your living at it or whatever. 
no, just become a better photographer in general. Yeah, and there are other things too. It just depends on the city you live in and stuff like that. But but you know, I know for a long time here there was a place called Dallas Darkroom that offered classes. Um, right. Did, did you do ever do anything out there? Or? I never I never did that. I I know we've both taken some private lessons at different times or whatever, and people have had good and bad experiences with that. But I think <laughs> if you can find the right uh, private lessons, I know that a lot of professionals um, eventually you know later in their careers they uh, they teach out of their home. Absolutely. And so if you can find someone, I think you know you really need to look into that and, and look at their credentials that somebody has before you go take lessons because that can be the that that can be the bad experience you have if you uh, go with someone that, that doesn't have very good credentials or that right. hasn't shot very much or doesn't even maybe have their own website. Watch out for those things. Yeah, just look it, into it. You know, right? It's someone you can see as a professional photographer, and you can actually look at their work and you're you're really blown away by their work and you aspire to become like them. Then I'm sure that they can teach you some really good things. And so uh, so private lessons yeah uh, some kind yeah. of an apprentice situation you know sometimes even offering a trade out on somebody like I remember when I started out I would I would hit photographers that I knew up you know because I can design a website so I'd do a trade out like that you know sure um, most people are really cool with that too it, private lessons are really cool too if you're interested in like any kind of alternative process stuff you almost have to have somebody show you it's real hard to mix chemicals just reading something out of a book something like that right I do know that like here in Dallas we have the Collin County Community Colleges which are you know known for uh, uh, having really good dark rooms, and I think even Richardson yeah. uh, has really good, uh, you know, dark rooms and everything, stuff like that, or whatever. And, and the thing I like about both uh, taking night classes at a community college or um, doing something through, you know, private lessons uh, is that is the flexibility. You have all these different nights that you can possibly go, right? And um, and it's all different kinds of hours and everything, so they're really flexible. And then when you get there, you have the camaraderie with the different people in the class that are you know the same interest as you and even if you're getting to be more advanced you can take classes that don't really hold you back like maybe some of the beginner classes do like you were talking about uh with you know somebody's grandmother or something in there who really doesn't even understand how to turn the camera on yet that can right. kind of be frustrating and hold you back a lot of times but some of the classes like you may be teaching that are a little bit more advanced where you have more advanced uh you know students in the classroom those can be really fun and you can yeah. really start and enroll in with those kind of classes. They definitely can. I, th- I think another, like, one thing you would look for in that is small classes. Um, right. I wouldn't get in a group of, like, 30 people. And it's just, just too many people. And then, like you said, when, when grandma's in there trying to figure out how to turn on the point and shoot, I mean, that's really a frustrating thing. But right. if you have a class with, in their eyes. Yeah, but if your class is smaller, if it's, like, five people, um, then that's, you tend to have a little more patience with those people. They're going to learn faster. It's just a better group size when it's not chaotic, you know. Right. And then the financial side of this stuff is great, too. I mean, sure. it's not like college where you're paying for these really expensive classes, you're still going to get good instruction, and the classes are probably going to be under $100 for, you know, I don't know, six four weeks to, or whatever it is. Sessions, yeah. Right. And so it's very affordable. And usually you have your own camera, or if you don't, you can go pick up an inexpensive camera at a ton of places for, you know, fairly cheap, whether that be an inexpensive uh, film camera or digital camera. Yeah. Um, a lot of classes, when you're starting out, they'll just be, you know, 35 millimeter film uh, classes. And that's a great way to start if you're at the oh, you very bet. beginning, is to just take a class like that. Uh, like a 35 millimeter uh, film class because that's going to get you started in how to actually operate and learn a camera. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, talk- where you don't have the auto button and the push your dummy button and the right. you know. <laughs> so that way, when you get up to the final, when you do make it up to the digital camera that has pretty much wants to do everything for you, it's just a big huge robot in your hands. You're not using all the robot functions. You're yeah. using all you're using all the the functions that you learned from the 35 you know millimeter di- you know um, film camera. And uh, that makes you a better photographer for sure. You know, it's funny because, like, you know, on the lines of really expensive cameras, when you get into, like, you know, you can go out and buy a Nikon D3X and it'll pretty much do whatever. Um, it's funny because, like, it's still a computer trying to figure out what you're trying to shoot. It can't right. talk to you. And and it's really funny because I think that's where it's a common frustration with people. It's like, you know, running into a problem. It's like, okay, well, this is the type of shot that I'm visualizing in my head and I can't get it with just the point and shoot feature of this. And I think right. that's where, like, like you're saying, you know, if you go learn 35 millimeters, or something like that uh, and learn about exposure and what aperture does and what shutter speeds do and how to compensate for strange lighting and things like that. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a huge thing. And especially if you if you really are set on doing this for a living, you've got to be able to be quick on shoots and, and get the results that people are looking for. And, and you know, it's got to be kind of second nature. So that, that's definitely essential. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, this business is all about who is the most creative, has, who has the most creative shots sure. that you can bring to the table that nobody else is bringing to the table. Uh, when people look at your photography, they don't you don't want them to look at it and go, oh, he looks like a lot of other people I see shooting. Well, and that's the biggest problem. Is, I mean, there are more people calling themselves photographers these days than there have ever been. I mean, you know, sure. Nikon and Canon have invested millions of dollars to make it easy. and make. I mean, it's the same thing Kodak did back in the 30s where it was, you know, you shoot the picture, we do the rest. You know, the and, brownie. Yeah, right. the brownies. and. And uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think more so now, a lot of people get an interest in it, and uh, you know it's it, it's saturated. So you really do have to have that one thing that that does set you apart if you if you intend to <laughs> to stand apart. I mean, it's obvious, but but yeah. uh, you know it's such a you know. An and I've been in I, I, you know you being a musician, me being a graphic designer before you being a web designer. Um, every career that we've ever been in, it's been the same way. Yes. In my experience, is that everybody wants to be a graphic designer. Everybody that has word thinks that they can be a graphic designer. Sure. Everybody that learned how to play the guitar can be in a band. Um, you know, all these kind of different things or whatever. And it's the same way with with uh, photography. And I think that's great. I think that there, I think it's wonderful that sure. and I kind of make all these cameras that everybody in the world can have one in their hands. But it's it's the it's the cream still rises to the top in every industry. That's why I don't think that all these really older professional photographers um, who have been at it a long time. And have a lot of skill really have anything to be fearful of even though you sometimes see them blogging and complaining a lot about young people trying to come up and well and, if, if their chops aren't up they might have something to be they fearful might. Yeah, of yeah. Yeah, they, they would have be something to be fearful of but if they're really great at what they do nobody can take that away from them well and it's, it's the same thing with people our age as well if we're sure. really skilled uh we're going to be we're going to be in the top 25% or 10% of, of the people in our trade, depending on, you know, where we are in, in learning and in our career and everything. But you can't – the rest are going to be at the bottom end. Well, it's it's interesting that you were saying that too because it's like I think back in the 70s and the 80s, it was different because if you wanted to be a graphic designer back then, you had to know how to build mechanicals. Or if you uh, were in a band, it cost a fortune to go into a recording studio. Or if you were a photographer, you had to know what you were doing there. And everything's been so computerized and cheapened, and, and I mean, it, which is great. Like you're saying, right. uh, but that's why you are going to be facing more competition. Um, you are going to be facing more competition, but I think the, the 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 better you are at your skill naturally, the more time that you put into your, this practice, uh, it, it, you know, the better photographer you become. The further you separate yourself from the millions of people out there who just have a camera and enjoy photography or whatever right. separate themselves. And then, you know, when you think about it, all these people, you know, they may be able to put up a website and say, "I shoot weddings" or "I shoot people" or whatever. But uh, uh, someone who's looking uh, for someone who's who's really good at their work is going to look at, I think, websites like that and work like that and then work like from really good professionals and be able to separate that and say, well, this guy's amazing. Oh, sure. And this yeah. person is I don't even know why they have a website. Out. Well, it's like you just, said, the cream rises to the top, and that's, that's, that's right. That's, exactly. That's how it is. You know, it's interesting, and I think we're going to talk about this later in the podcast. But we're kind of on that subject right now, and this whole this whole idea of practice and getting better. And it's kind of funny because, like, you know, I divulged my my industry secret earlier that that I have a music degree. But but you know, there's a lot that I brought over from you know playing guitar when I was a kid, and even getting the degree when I was in college and wanting to be a film score composer is what I wanted to do. Um, but you know, musicians are practicing nonstop, and you have to. You have to learn tunes, you have to learn scales, you have to learn arpeggios, you have to learn... I mean, there's a lot of stuff to get under your belt. And there are kind of two things that, that I noticed that, that were real popular with musicians that, that were le- kind of less so with photographers or designers or people like that. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, one, you have, like, you know, people you will kind of try to emulate early on um, and then mm-hmm. hopefully not to sound too like... So you have, you have like, let's say you're a guitar player, you got the guys that you're into. You know, I like, you know, Eddie Van Halen if you're a rock player. Or if, you know, I like Joe Pass if you're playing jazz but and you you really look up to them and you really tear that you learn their solos and you start like really investigating from that sense and then there's the practice element where you're like practicing eight hours a day trying to do these things and it's interesting because when i got when i kind of moved over into the visual side of things uh i see a lot less people doing that and it's weird because it's like why not you know if you're really passionate about photography find five photographers you love and 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 try to figure out how they're doing the things you like to see in their work and what it is you know and and that too in the practice you want to put the hours in um you know i think that a lot of people uh you know when we 
you and I were kind of doing flick early on. We would do these meetups, which which were fine. But you know, they right. I, I really like didn't like to do the photo walks so much because you'd walk around shooting whatever, and there's 20 other people shooting the same thing. And after a while, that's it's just, more of a social outing. Absolutely, really. it's yeah. more like going and having beers with the guys. But there are people who find that to be. Uh, or trying to get a learning experience out of that, which it's not. Uh, but you're right. That's what it is. It's a social experience, and it's important on its own level, but but it's different. And, you know, I remember, like, like one summer, I started doing all these still-life photos. And the reason I did that is because it was hot as doo-doo outside, and... <laughs> I caught it that time. I'll beep it anyway. Um, <laughs> We're gonna start bleeping stuff. I think you should just bleep over that anyway. It, it was it was hot as mother <laughs> is what it was, and uh, <laughs> yep, at the twenty minute mark. Um, so anyway, it was really hot, and uh, so you know, in, in Dallas, you know, big city in the Southwest, and it gets really smoggy and gross, and it's hard to get good lighting outside. So that's kind of when I started moving in. I was doing like all these studio setups at night, and I would spend, I'd stay up late and spend a lot of time on it. But I I, I got better at it. And it's something that I really enjoy doing. So, you know, things like that are things to keep in mind. Just just as an artist is what you are. Um, right. You should never be sitting around going, well, I would be shooting right now, but there's nothing to shoot. Exactly. Because there's always something to shoot. <laughs> and if you can't be creative enough to think of something to shoot, even like when it's burning hot outside or when it's snowing and it's a blizzard, just because you can't get outside doesn't mean you can't shoot. Just because there aren't people around doesn't mean you can't shoot. Yeah, there's if something. you have lights in the house, if you have a desk lamp and you have uh, anything that you can place on a desktop, you can shoot uh, you, can, you, you, know, you can shoot still life artistically like you're talking about or even uh, in my downtime as a professional, I shoot stock photography. Whenever I don't have any jobs going on and I've, been do- I've already been doing my networking for the week as far as sending out email blasts and, and uh, making phone calls and all that kind of thing, I'm going to set up uh, lighting and shoot stuff on desktop or tabletop and submit some stuff to Getty or whatever and, and for stock photography reasons. It just yeah. As I would if I were doing it for artistic purposes, except I'm going to try to make a little money off of it. Well, yeah, and you get two things out of there. You're working, hopefully, to get some money, and, you, and you're shooting. You're, you're right. continuing to practice. You know, and you're that's... building your portfolio, if nothing else. Even if a sure. photography company doesn't want to buy it or whatever, uh, even if you're just an artistic uh, photographer, you're building your portfolio. You're going to get some shots out of uh, some, you know, if working a few hours that day or whatever. Uh, they're going to be good enough to probably go in your portfolio, or at least one shot, and so that's worth it for the whole day. Yeah, you bet. If you get one out of the day, man, that's that's a good number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's usually what you can count on is getting one wonderful, you know, great shot that's good enough to go in your portfolio out of a four-hour session or something. So, yeah, and that is important. You hopefully, know. more. But. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting too because, like, a lot of times too, it, and I think this also requires just kind of some research. You know, like one of my favorite places to go is Half Price Books. You know, and go dig through used photography books over there and trying to open my eyes to new things. Because I was thinking a minute ago, you know, if, if there's always something to shoot, let's say you're snowed in and you're there with the dog, well, you could try dog shots, you know. And for me, <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have thought, well, I'm not going to shoot the dog. That's ridiculous. I don't want to do I hate William Wegman. It's, you know. Did I just say that on the photography podcast? Oh, I'll be, you don't get a call from him. From William Wegman? Yeah. He, he can call me because I can't stand him. But anyway, actually, <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, because I, I was talking to uh, my friend Ray, who's a photographer, and, and he said, you know, but you got to admire the fact that he's picked probably the trippiest subject in the world, dogs wearing sweaters and looking like people. And like, Yeah, it's, some of it's hilarious. <laughs> I, and so, I mean, it's really cool, and people love animals, people love their dogs, and people pick up those books and... You buy those books. Okay, let me let me let me let me retract my comment. I do not care for the aesthetic, but I do appreciate. Yeah, but I can. I'll tell you what. It is. uh, Ray was right. It is. You've got to commend the guy for doing something that's just strange and uh, getting. And he is. He technically is a very good photographer. But see, that's that's like an example where it's like, okay, well, getting out of your comfort zone and and saying there's nothing to shoot when maybe there is, but it's not your. But then trying to investigate how I can do that and do it well. You know, there are people who do great pet shots. Like uh, I think like. Elliot Erwitt doing all the oh, weird yeah. posts. I mean, that, yeah. it's incredible work, you know. I have a whole his whole book just dogs. Yeah, it's and awesome. It's, That's it's, a great uh, one. It's like a thousand photos of different dogs that he took over time, just artistically, not to ever even make the book until he finally noticed one day. I've got thousands and thousands of pictures of dogs. <laughs> you, you know, know another another cool well, another cool thing about that too is like you're saying it's not something that he set out to be known for. It was just something that he enjoyed doing. Exactly. And again, that's like, how it will come to be. Really. Not, it's not so much that you ever put a plan in place to say, unless you just have this vision in the night or something that like, wow, I want to shoot dogs and then later make a book and it's going to be worth – that's hardly ever how it goes. Watch me it's have this vision in the next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I want to shoot like William Wagman. Please. Ted's vision. I better get a dog, though. I, I, I could put, like, <laughs> turtlenecks on the cats and see what happens. But, uh, but uh, even in a professional aspect, um, animals uh, are, are usually – there's a couple of great animal photographers in any major city. Sure. And – and uh, people love animals. People love their cats and dogs and parrots and squirrels and lizards and horses and everything else. And so uh, when they want professional stuff shot, they go to the best. Yeah. And uh, they hire these people who are in you know something like that. That's a very small niche market. So um, but that's something that could be very. I mean, if you, if you come out and show people that you can like really rock and take some awesome photos of their pets, that's some people pay money for. You can create that niche. You know. Yeah. There's and there's not a lot of competition in it either. Right. Yeah, not not nearly as much as, you know, families and babies and weddings and Oh yeah, uh, sure, cuz those are much more widespread. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny cuz I don't really even think of wedding photography as a niche anymore even though people still refer to it as that. It's more like a high competitive, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, once again talking about uh everybody in the world shooting something, that's something that a, a lot of people shoot, but in you know, in every city uh, or just I, I can name a handful of people that are really the very best at, at what they do with that. And um, sure. even here in Dallas, um, there's some people who are, are absolutely amazing at it. And, uh, you know, they, they charge uh, <laughs> good prices for what they shoot, but it's well-deserved because yeah. you're going to get amazing wedding pictures. Whereas if, you know, you just hire Debbie who bought a Nikon <laughs> uh, D40 last year and uh, is pretty excited about weddings, her portfolio is not going to be anything in the world if you have any kind of eye at all compared to to these guys who have been doing it for years and years and years and really mastering their trade. You know, I, I will share this because it's hilarious, and you can find it on uh, YouTube. But you know, Judge Joe Brown, the, the daytime guy, right? Yeah, you no, know, he he's he's one of those daytime court drama people. And he sees these guys. Well, they had a case on there one day, and uh, I'll, we'll we put it in the show notes. But it was it was basically a wedding photographer who uh, had kind of screwed the bride somehow. And, and anyway, so these, these people come into court, and yeah, it is Debbie, and she's shooting with like the built-in flash on like you know she didn't even have a zoom lens or she has a zoom lens but it's not a telephoto I guess and anyway it was really obvious that she wasn't set up and I guess I guess old Judge Judge Brown uh, had uh, enough photography experience and he kind of he kind of gave it to her which was pretty right. awesome you know he's like what's the fastest lens you own she was fast he said well you got 3.5 you got a 1.4 <laughs> they didn't even know what he was talking about it's hilarious right. when the judge knows more than you do about <laughs> photography that's pretty you're probably gonna lose that case uh when will when will wegman gets his own show um he's really gonna give it to you as a judge yeah judge will wegman. Judge. <laughs> <laughs> he deals with pet cases now see that would be cool for the, photographer nerds like us that, would love yeah. a judge show like judge judy during the day but it's just all photography cases yeah for when you got downtime we might even do this you know judge will wegman you know it's the case of the pit bull and the and and the uh the hack photographer or something my brother just got his law degree or he's about to and uh is he gonna get a show maybe i can talk to him and we can we can make this happen well he He can become a judge he's he's gonna get a show right yeah because i think most people in law school aspire to have a show (laughs) (laughs) if you turn on the tv in the day it sure looks like that but you know Well, He's in New Orleans, so that'd be a cool backdrop. We could just have him like, yeah. right down there, yeah, in the square. That'd That's be sweet. right. I still okay. want Will Wagman, but we'll, we'll, you know, we'll take a family member. <laughs> okay, so we'll get back on track here. Uh, we're talking about uh, the best ways to, to to learn how to become a better photographer. Well, we're just you know, um, along those lines, I mean, we're talking about practicing and stuff, and and those are things you can do on your own. And and there's a lot of sources out there if you're really good at self learning. And you know, everybody has different learnings. This is one thing I know as a teacher that you have to deal with is everybody. You know, some people are very visual and. Some some people are more audio based. They like to have a conversation about something, and some people would rather read, and and that's totally cool. And if and if your groove is more self taught and reading, there's there's some really good resources just even on the internet. Sure. I mean, there's there's blogs you can look at. There's the Strobus blog. There's uh, you know just googling a topic, you can usually find somebody's written something about it. Right. Um, you know, kind of a notch above that, which I think is an even cooler thing, are a lot of the video learning. And I'm big into the video thing. It works really well for me. Right. And so you know, I think one of the first ones i ever did and I've, I've always kept my subscription because it's just it's a great software learning resource which is lynda.com and right that's <laughs> lynda with a y but but lynda it's more software based and i guess photography you do have that photoshop element of it but you know there's something more there you're making pictures is what you're doing uh and we were talking earlier uh, about some other ones um uh the scott kelby stuff which you're familiar with uh, right is- i did the uh, kelby training 
which uh, which has both uh, Scott Kelby, Joe McNally, who's wonderful with off-camera flash, and just uh, just a ton of other wonderful professional photographers that shoot everything from uh, from portrait to weddings to food to architecture, um, it just to you know everything in the world. And so there's there's these different um, tutorials, video tutorials on there. They last about an hour. Uh, they're broken up into five or ten minute segments, so you can just watch little bits at a time if you want to. Uh, and then pause and watch more later or whatever. But it's pretty much like buying a DVD. But you have a like a you have a year long subscription to it, or you can do it by you can have a monthly subscription to it or whatever. It's not very expensive at all, and it's a way to if you're very visual, come home, throw on the earphones or whatever, and watch those and and write note, take notes. It's just like taking a class, but you're just taking yeah. it right at home from from the best some of the best professional photographers uh, in the world. You know, I'm really into that model too. That subscription video based stuff. Uh, the yeah. DVDs are okay. I, you know, I've, I've I'd put one in if I owned it, but it, you know, but for me, having it divisible up into chunks and yeah. and being able to just check it out anytime I'm on a computer that's online is just it's a little easier for me than having to do something at the television. Well, once but, you've watched a DVD, you've watched it. Yeah, it's true. Um, and I have a couple of you know tutorial um, DVDs. One that I was wanting to mention is from Nikon School, and it's uh, Bob Christ who uh, who has sh- who shoots for National Geographic Traveler, and Joe McNally, who's one of my favorite type of strobus off camera flash photographer that I just mentioned and uh, they've done a bunch of videos for Nikon school but uh, this latest one that I watched was called a hands-on guide to creative lighting uh, featuring portable Nikon speed lights and it's about two and a half hours and it's a wonderful uh, DVD on off-camera flash and what all you can do. Where, do where, with you, it. where did you get it? Did you just get off the I website? I got it at a professional camera store. Okay, um, yeah. competitive camera here in town, so you can pick it up at a lot of bookstores or camera stores. Uh, maybe even places like Wolf, you can maybe even pick it up. Or whatever. Well, I'm Definitely sure they've got it online too. Um, but it's wonderful, and I've watched it multiple times because it's it's something that you can watch over and over again and learn, see more and more how they're setting up and doing things, then practice it yourself, then go back and watch it again. But, yeah, the thing with the DVD is that once you've watched it, you've watched it. And the great thing about the online training stuff is that they, they do new uh, – new stuff every month so there's always right. new videos online yeah it's it's definitely a more efficient model as far as like taking it further you know another interesting one we were talking about earlier was uh um the creative live thing that, that chase jarvis has organized at which yes. i think i'll be curious to see how this works out because i think they have such a cool model going here and basically what the deal is i watched the one they did with vincent laferre i just kind of had it on while i was at work which uh-huh. meant i kind of had to half watch it but but it was it was amazing basically it's a seminar they do about a four camera shoot five camera shoot maybe I think it was more than two or three, but anyway, um, and it's kind of like you're there. It's a live broadcast of you know. There's an audience and there's people participating. It's a live broadcast. This thing. It's very professionally done. From oh yeah, and it's free if you're watching it live. And then what right. they do is they sell a subscription. Then and do you remember what it costs? You know, all these are around the same. They're twenty five a month, yeah. or something like that a month, or something like that, or, or uh, maybe not even that much. Some of them. I mean, so, you know, it's a pretty low price for the whole year ninety nine dollars for the whole year, or something like that. Well, it's cool because uh, they're free to watch live, but then what you pay for is the rerun, which actually makes sense because if there's something in there, even if you did see it live, you might want to go review it later or something. Um, right, and that's worth paying for easily. But know? if you can be organized and you can set alarms on your phone or, or whatever else on your computer, if you're really interested, you can. Al- they always have a calendar up of when the next thing is is coming yeah. on live so if you're really interested in off-camera flash whatever they're about to talk about you can watch that for free that's why it's called creative live i guess well and, and then and that's a great way to, to go about it wow i just got all that knowledge for free but if you miss it and you want to watch it later or you couldn't watch it then you you can you can you know have the option to pay for it you know it's interesting because the when the vincent laferay one was on um there was a section of it i was working on something at my desk and and uh there was a section of it that that was coming up i knew and they were talking about it. It had to deal with some video settings if you're shooting with a 5D and things like that. And it was something that I had not really got. So I, you know, I pulled out a notepad and I took notes. And it's just like being there. You know, it's a seminar. Right. It's it's pretty yeah, it's amazing. great. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, so I've watched uh, many, many of those. I had a subscription to uh, Kelby Training for a long time until I kind of felt like. Um, I wanted to switch up and, and do some other online tutorials. So I, uh, because I just like to switch it up every once in a while. So you know, I'd get right. a subscription to something else like Creative Live for a little while or whatever. But all of them have been um, great in different ways. So those are those are super highly recommended. And then I know that that Nikon and Canon both have. 
similar uh, type online tutorials. They do. Uh, and r- real quick, though, I think you just hit on something that's real important, too. And, and like, don't feel like you got to go jump on all this at once. In fact, I think that's the way to do it is just pick something right. and, and master it a little bit. You know, get in there and get something out of it. And then, like, you know, Wade was saying, then you shift your focus and try something different for a while. That's that's a real – that's a great way to keep things fresh, too. Right. Um, As a creative person, uh, you, you know, things become – as soon as things start to become a little bit stale or stagnant to you, you're going to want to switch, switch gears anyway. But you definitely don't have to spend a ton of money and be doing all these different things at one time, buying a ton of books and watching videos. No, and in fact, I've overwhelmed myself a few times, especially with books. Because oh, I'll go yeah. to the bookstore and they're books. You're like, oh, I'll read all these this week, you know. And <laughs> then they all sit on the shelf and you forget you have them. And then, then, right. then they're a nice surprise later, but, but it's an expensive <laughs> discovery. You know? So buy one book. Go yeah. and uh, bring the book home. Try to read the book. If, if, if for some reason you can't get through that book or it's not interesting or it's not you know suitable for you or whatever, okay, on to the next book or whatever. And then the same thing with the online tutorials. Do one of them. Try to watch one of them. If, if you like it, you like it, stick with it for a while. If not, switch to another one. Classes the same way. Take a class. Don't take, a, don't take too much. Just don't, just don't pile yourself up into where you feel overwhelmed and don't want to do anything. Right. You know, do one thing at a time. You know, speaking of books, this is kind of weird, too, because I'm going to, like, completely reverse some of the modern stuff we're talking about. But I think, some, for me, like, some of the books that I think I've gotten the most out of are, like, if you go to half-price books, and there's one that you can find everywhere because they printed, like, a jillion copies, but it's called The Joy of Photography. And it's, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a 35 millimeter. you know, it's got old beat-up SLR on the front, and it's very dated-looking. And the compositional tips that they give you in there are pretty lame. I mean, it's, it's, it's stylized to an era. But, did they do several versions of of that book, yeah, did they, they did. Keep updating that book, yeah, they that did for a long time. Well, that's a while. what they used to do with books, you know. Right. <laughs> they research them. and they write and then they'd update. <laughs> Put um, a different cover on it, yeah. Well, or it. at least. But one of my favorites, and I own two editions of this too, and I think each one cost me like two dollars at half right. price because they're really well. This one five ninety eight is the sticker on, but it's the Amateur Photographer's Handbook by Aaron Sussman. And you know, Andy Murphy and I joked that that it, oh, have you read the Sussman? And you know, but anyway, but it's amazing because this guy goes through here, he tells you how his work. He explains the different types of elements that go into optics. He talks about film emulsion. Anyway, and it's all this stuff that you know, some of it's very technical, but really what you're doing as a photographer, you're not a painter. That's not a hand skill necessarily, but you are image making and you're making pictures. And understanding how you capture an image is really the fundamental of what we're doing. Right. And, you know, they, they don't, there's no digital photography when this was printed. It was printed in the 60s at some point. But um, everything still applies. Everything applies. As far, I mean, the principles of photography apply to any kind of camera you're shooting with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, things like, well, there's a lot of similarities between film and digital. You still have ISO rate. And you still have time you have to deal with. And, you know, even now, where what did the new Nikon will shoot up to like, what is it, 12,800 ISO or something crazy? Right. Um, you know, shutter th- speed is still shutter speed. Aperture is still aperture. Yeah, and you, yeah. The, and you do want slow ISO sometimes. <laughs> you don't always want to shoot at 1,200 or 12,000. No. Or yeah, it's still to shoot, you know, at 100 ISO or lower or whatever is, is the best thing to do. Yeah. I mean, whether you were shooting with film cameras or a digital camera, it's, you know, low is still better. Now they make great cameras that can shoot in the dark and it's not as grainy as it used to be, but that's still a last resort for photographers unless well, sure. you're for some kind of artistic, uh, grainy feel for something for some reason, you know, but that's usually, usually a last resort. I was having lunch with a photographer yesterday and we were talking about you know they've, they've announced the the official end to Kodachrome. They, they don't make Kodachrome anymore. Kodak doesn't. Right. Uh, and you can still get it processed by one lab in the world that's in Kansas City. And uh, they've announced that they are going to put a moratorium December tenth is the last day. Anyway, we were talking about it, and, and, and Ray looked at me. He said, you know, he said, oh, I used to shoot Kodachrome twenty five, and you know, twenty five ISO. Right. And we were like, that's some slow film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When you do a flash on the beach, you know something. Get your uh, tripod out and your biggest light. <laughs> but it, you know, it's interesting though because Kodachrome had such a look to it, and of course now you have looks that are done with computer software and and other things too. They you can know, replicate that somewhere. Yeah, sure, but but mm-hmm. there's something, and and I'm weird like this because I really have a passion for like you know the chemicals and the the handcrafted side of photography. Right, um, but you you and a million other people. Well, yeah, and most pros now can't afford to shoot that way because it's it's time intensive and it's too slow and it's too expensive yeah and it is a labor of love and, and it used to be easy i mean finding a photo lab is harder now and finding getting print quality and the paper quality's gone down a kodak before they went out was awful and you know it, it, it's hard and, and that's really yeah unfortunately it does make more sense for people doing fine art photography to do those things yeah as but, a fine artist it makes total sense to still go that way because yeah. It's something that 
uh, the majority of people aren't doing anymore. Yeah. Well, but every now and then you do see people. I can't think of his name right now, but the, uh, there's a photographer who's he does uh, like celebrity weddings in, in Los Angeles. Apple featured him on their website when they released Aperture. They had a bunch of videos. And one of the things he actually still does is he shoots infrared film. And right. it gives him a look for bridal shoots that a lot of people aren't doing right now. And oh, sure. uh, film grain and even infrared where it really gets grainy and has a, a really interesting look to it. And, and it's something different. And, and I remember reading an interview with him. He says, well, you know, a lot of people think this is a big pain in the ass to do. But he said, you know, I send it to the photo lab. It's back the same day. I get the scans made. It costs more, but it's worth it, you know, to him. Right. Right, and, well, and if you're, once again, in a niche market like that and you have something sure. mastered like that, there are still professional photographers out there, just a handful of them that still shoot with film, and it's because they're shooting with a certain type of camera or a certain type of film that still can't be really, um, you know, done with, with digital or it would, be, it would be even harder to do digitally. Sure. So, for the specific look that they're trying to get, so they, they shoot that way, and they're then they're still making a great living, or or if they're just doing it as a fine artist, they're they're still coming away with images that don't you know that look uh, totally unique to themselves. So sure, sure, so that's awesome. No, I I completely agree. That's that's uh, you know, and I think that like, what you're saying too is like you know with a niche within a niche almost you know where you can kind of carve your own niche sometimes, and that's important to do. You know, if you, if you're a wedding photographer, yeah, there's a lot of competition, and maybe that's not so niche like, but finding something that sets you apart. There, there's a guy in Dallas. He uh, his main gig is he teaches photography at Green Hill, the private school, mm-hmm. and uh, he does wet plate. I took one of his uh, workshops a couple months ago. Oh right, I saw that. Yeah, and it, and it's just uh, frankly. Lopez is his name, and and it's incredible. He teaches private lessons. And talk about a niche that really sets you apart. When you got those grungy glass plate negatives, there's no way you can replicate that. I mean, you can Photoshop it, but then it just looks like a Photoshop. It's going to look Photoshopped. It's going to look very digital. It looks like uh, something. Yeah, I saw some of that stuff that came out of that class, and I was just like, wow. Yeah, it was was crazy. Time too. Different people who have all the wet plate stuff at home or do it uh, full time, kind of as a you know as a hobbyist or whatever. Yeah. And that stuff is just always amazing. Yeah, it, it really is. A portrait or a landscape or whatever. So yeah, you're really talking about a, a niche within a niche there, as far as like what what yeah do you shoot uh, you know r- really high end portraits using that wet plate. That's something totally unique. To yeah, yourself. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and it stands you out. I mean, people are going to hire you because you have that look to your work. You know, right? And or he's really good, and that helps too. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's it's the niche within the niche, so to speak. But uh, but uh, we've talked a lot about ways to get better today. Yeah, well, uh, and, and one more thing that I kind of oh, want to sure. go a little bit more in depth with was was books. I know that we both have oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a ton of books on our bookshelf, and I just wanted to name a few really quick that I uh, dude, I am a oh, book junkie. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm totally self-taught when it comes to photography. Uh, I was a graphic designer for ten years. Um, uh, you had already been doing photography for a while when um, we started talking, and, and and I started becoming interested in photography. And I started shooting with 35 millimeter film and a lot of black and white, and a lot of it because it was you were into it, and I thought your stuff was really cool, so I wanted to shoot. I had uh, you fooled. I did, but it, yeah, it, well, it was amazing <laughs> stuff, and it still is, but. Um, um, I, I, you know, and I still to this day love shooting with a Holga or shooting with a Diana or shooting with an old roll of flex or this square format black and white film. It, it's still when I'm looking through pictures online, it's some of the most interesting photography to me is super simple uh, square uh, film shots. Sure. And, and so that's that's where it all started. But. Um, you know, mainly I'm one of those people who loves to be still high and do all the online training and can read books. And I would do this nonstop, and I still do. Right. Um, my, my training has varied now as my as thing as time has gone on. But in the beginning, it was a ton of books all the time, uh, and then just um, you know advice from friends like you and meetups and private lessons with other people. And even if I wasn't getting a ton out of the classes I was taking or whatever, I was still uh, getting a lot of information from other people who were shooting and probably in my same stage or maybe way above me or whatever. Right. Um, but a few of those books that I just wanted to mention really quickly. Sure. My very first book that got me super interested in photography that I read from from cover to cover was uh, was weird enough that it, it was National Geographic's Field Guide. I'm sure you've seen this like a million <laughs> times. Yeah. It, it's almost like at every single bookstore. It's an every, awesome book, though. I passed it on to a friend in New York who is interested in photography and stuff like that now, who's a graphic designer. And I said, read this book. If, if this doesn't get you into photography, uh, nothing will, because this is super yeah, cool. It really and is it is definitive. mine. There's different sizes and versions, but mine was a little handheld one. 
uh, and it was just all about all the basics of photography, uh, like learning your f-stops and learning about shutter speed and 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 learning all just all the basics of a camera. Uh, and how to get different effects. It would have different effects, like how to get shallow depth of field, um, yeah. how to freeze a car in motion, um, how to get blur, you know, whatever. Uh, and so that that really kicked it all off for me. Okay, I, I can I, I now know how to get you know all these different things. Yeah. And um, that's where you know we keep on going back to that. But that's what people really need to learn, so that later on they can they can actually do that. If a client wants that done or ask for it, or you just know that that's the best thing that needs to be done, you know how to achieve that look you know it's interesting too because I, I think like this whole subject we've been talking about getting better today if you boiled it down to you know somebody who because I, I get questions a lot especially from friends of my parents and things like that people who have a little point and shoot and they say well my camera's really good but I don't always get the photos that I'm they're not what I'm looking for, you know. If you do nothing else but like go to a used bookstore or hit Powell's, the online bookstore, something like that, and find a used copy of that book you're talking about, the National Geographic Field Guide, right. spend the five bucks, whatever it is, and just right. just it, like those will give you enough fundamentals right there to at least give you the information to like learn to go into your camera manual and and, and reset settings to get the effects you're trying to achieve because that's sure. really all it comes down to, you know. I've really never even. Read Read like uh, an entire like you know Nikon D90 manual or anything. Um, I've read books about photography and then applied those to the camera I had. Yeah. Uh, now so when when special occasions come up and I'm like, what in the world does this button do? I've never even touched it. Yeah. <laughs> then I go into my manual and <laughs> push and me. Be like, hey dummy, this is buttons for well and that's what a manual is but it's so funny because you know we're talking about doing this podcast and you see so much online stuff that is so gear based and i think there really is a whole group of people out there that are confused to you know they're like called photographers or they call themselves but really what they're is they're they're tweakers they're into the specs they're into the gear gear. yeah the toys and and there's nothing wrong with that and those are the kind of guys that are going to read a manual from front to back and uh know everything there is to know about it and how to but if you're more into the gear than you are into the final photograph you've got you've got a problem unless that's what you get your joy from yeah that's um, because true. it's all about joy and stuff in the end anyway whether you're making money from it or not or just doing fine art shows or whatever it's about you you loving what you do so if buying a big lens for you know three thousand dollars it just uh, makes your whole year. Then that is awesome. <laughs> you're, you're, you're going <laughs> to be easily easily pleased. <laughs> Since this show is about photography, like the final end result, the photograph being wonderful, then if the, if that's what you want, then then buying a ton of gear is not is not what it's all about at all. Nah, you can shoot on a whole gun, do your thing, you know. Right. Uh, a guy I was talking to at the coffee store the other day had seen the same article in a magazine that I had a few years back, where a professional photographer uh, went into the jungle and shot an entire model uh, you know uh, like if it was like two or three spreads in a magazine that he shot and he shot it all with tinfoil for you know for bouncing light and a disposable camera that was waterproof and they shot all this stuff in waterfalls and whatever and it was amazing it's kind of like the stuff that you're starting to see nowadays with the iPhone 4 and and, and, or even the iPhone before that sure Uh, it kind of blows you away but it once again just brings it all back to that it's not about the gear that it's not about the camera that it always makes me kind of a little bit irritated when people say Wait, I really love your photographs. I, I, I really <laughs> that your camera takes. Yeah, what that, kind of camera? That D90 takes great photos, man. Right, right. It's like it okay, gets up and I sneaks think, off and takes its I own appreciate photos. Appreciate the credit there. I, I, I'm so glad. My, <laughs> I'm so glad my camera read all those books and took all those classes and has spent you know the last seven years. Because dude, uh, <laughs> without your D90, you just suck. Let's face it. You know, I know because they really have the wrong idea there. It'd be it'd be the same way with anything. It'd be like saying you know uh, I really love the graphic design that your computer is churning out what kind of computer do you yeah, have what kind of, I've had people ask that what kind of really software are you it using makes, that, it just makes no sense at all I mean it's a tool yeah they, if they get out a word it will free them well it will but not like that you know yeah you have the wrong thing in mind if you're, if you're, if you're really thinking like that <laughs> if I buy this camera because you put you know a $30,000 camera in the hands of someone who doesn't know what they're doing and then put that disposable camera in the hands of that pro 
Um, that's oh, I'll tell you who's going to get better photos. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, and it's funny because like I, I'm even guilty of it too. Like you know, if I'm if I'm in the market for a new camera, let's say, and it's such a silly topic, but but you know, I, the first thing you do is you're trying to say, well, let's see if anybody has anything online, like some samples from this camera, so because you're getting excited about. It. So you go search through Flickr and you search, you know, Google and all. And then after a while, you're like, you know, I'm finding all these shots, and I, it doesn't matter. I mean, they all. It's not going to look like that. You know, it's it's you and your brain and your eye and and right. whatever lighting conditions you have and and it's just it's so ridiculous that it's you know that yeah. we're in this gear-based society you know that uh, yeah but some people really get a kick out of that and that can we've mentioned that before but that can lead to a lot of debt and uh yeah you know sure. that's especially something you don't want to do right up front whether you're a hobbyist or you're whether you're doing it to be a professional you don't want to go out and buy a bunch of gear and then have to pay that gear off you want to be able to you want to buy what you can afford and um, I sound like I'm on, you know, some kind of talk show right now about finances or something. But um, <laughs> Dave Murray. <laughs> but yeah, some yeah. of us have had to learn the hard way, not by buying gear, but in other ways. But um, sure, you just do not want to do that. You want to buy what you can afford and go out there and shoot with that, and you're going to be able to make great pictures. And uh, people uh, will not usually be able to tell the difference at all. I mean, people usually cannot look at a picture and go, "Oh, I can't believe you shot that with the Canon so and so." Well, I'll, I'll give you a prime example, and and this was something I would like to think that. I knew what I was doing when I when I discovered this, but there's the, there's a photographer named Tom Burrell that I'm really <laughs> into, and he did like just these awesome. Uh, well, it, there were two things. He used to be uh, Robert Maplethorpe's printer, and then he kind of went out on his own. And he's known as a fine art photographer, but he does like these these tabletop still lives of like flowers and stuff that are just unbelievably gorgeous, and they had this weird look to them. And I'm like, and I knew he was shooting wet plate, but these weren't the wet plate shots. These were something else. And then he had these these uh, architectural kind of New York landscapes that he had done, and they, they had that same kind of look to it. And for the longest time, I was Googling and trying to find out what is he using to get these, and what. And I found out later it's a freaking pinhole camera. He's not even oh, using man. a lens. He's using a wood box that cost him 20 bucks, and he's making stuff that sells in galleries for five grand. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's, that's it right there. I mean, yeah. he's using a wood box but he knows what he's doing. He's using his skill that he's learned. You bet. And uh, uh, of how to? Uh, yeah, I, I come across those uh, all the time on Flickr and things, and they're, they're amazing, especially when you're using them uh, in architectural context and sure. in big cities and shooting large buildings and churches or or long exposures at night of anything. Yeah, uh, those pinhole cameras are absolutely amazing, and that yeah. is a box with a hole in it. Yeah, I mean, you don't get much. <laughs> <laughs> there's not much more lo-fi than that, you know. No. It's, it's, uh, and, and it, yeah, and he's blowing, and they're blowing people away. But it's it's something that he's learned. He's he's refined his skill. In fact, here's a step further. It doesn't even have a viewfinder on it. You got to kind of no. like point it. Right. He sees something visually, and this is another big part of being a photographer. Yes, um, is is being able to just see things visually even before you take the picture and go, "That's going to be cool." Yeah, that's and I will, uh, you know, and and you've probably done this too. But but having shot pinhole, um, if you shot enough of it, you start to you don't need a viewfinder. You know, basically what the you know width of the the focal length is going to be and stuff like that. And you can kind of, for the most part, get it shot without right. having to I'm going to put my box here and I'm going to aim it this way. Yeah, and I know that it's too close. It's not going to be wide enough, or you know, you kind of have a sense of that. But uh, right. I mean, you're not getting exact, but it's it's. Uh, if people haven't checked that out a lot, if you're kind of new to photography and you're you're trying to check out new different kinds of things, whatever, definitely go on to Flickr and just t- search for uh, like pinhole. Uh, and 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 then you know look at put it on the most interesting stuff that comes up or whatever. Sure, and, you're gonna see um, some cool stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll keep you busy for a few hours. So. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's 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 interesting because we we had a Flickr meetup at the museum. Uh, gosh, it's probably about six months ago. But it was for whatever reason, it was real pinhole heavy. I had two. I have a Holga that's made into a pinhole, and I've got some of the box stuff. And Nicole has a uh, oh one of the daylight pinholes that Polaroid made at one point that you can still put the Fuji film into. And people had more fun with that than. You know any technical gadget that we could have had in there? It was just oh, yeah. you know it, it, there's something about it that's just really cool. It's just really it's so bare bones. There that, are so many basic cameras that are just amazingly fun. The Holga for one, the Polaroid. Sure. I mean these are cameras that children and adults and everybody in between love and and uh, and fine in the fine art realm of everything. Uh, you know 
you can you can have shows with this stuff. Oh, I absolutely. Mean, there's been plenty out there that are like, I cannot believe this guy did all this with the Polaroid. Well, or, what it comes or, down to is you're learning how to see things, you know. Right. You're learning how to see things, and you're showing them in a different way. It has nothing to do with Photoshop or, you know, w- what hard drive you back your stuff up onto. Or, I mean, any of that stuff. All that's in- completely insignificant if you're not taking good photos. So That's true. You know. That's true. A few quick other books I wanted to mention oh, just yeah, yeah. before we go is um, – uh, it, when I was taking some different uh, college courses and classes at night, one that I came across that can teach you everything. It's a big book, and it's it's been updated throughout the years over and over again. I have the sixth edition. I don't know what it's on now. It could be on the eleventh edition or whatever. But it's just called Photography, and um, I'm sure you're very familiar with this book. It just Does it have had, an author on that? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Barbara London and John Upton. Yes, and that's a good it's, one. It's just been reproduced over and over and over again, and it's as it's made its way from uh, you know film all the way into the digital realm now. And so they've updated the photos and techniques and everything in accordance with with the, how the technologies change. But it, it it is a class. It is it is a college course in itself. So if you bought that book and took it home and went through the entire thing front to back and practiced it even has you know little tutorials and, and says you know go out and shoot this again today and then come back and see your results um, it, by the time you'd finished that book you would have come so far from where you started um, two other books that are close to they're, they're a little bit different from that another one's called Digital Photography Masterclass by uh, Tom Ang and it's, it's a little bit more digital heavy but it's the same kind of book and it teaches you advanced um, photographic and image manipulation techniques uh, you know for creating really great pictures very cool and, and then the final one is uh, called The Creative Photographer uh, by John Ingledew and uh, it's exactly what it says it's a book about creative photography and uh, thinking creatively and going out there and shooting stuff that's not mundane or like what everybody else is doing and how to get there and um, you know it gives you specific ideas of different um, things that you, types of things that you could go out and shoot or whatever um, but it also really tries to inspire you to come up with your own uh, on a weekly you know monthly basis and, and go out and shoot those things so yeah that's um, so awesome yeah yeah, I'm. I have a uh, a weakness for books. It's uh, yes, you know, especially the used bookstore, which we've mentioned a couple times. And you know the the rule at half price books, right? What's that? You know, if you're looking for something like there's a title you want, you're not going to find it. But if you go in there and you're not looking for anything, you've got like a stack. You got like a shopping cart. You're wheeling up to the <laughs> right. They never have anything specifically that you want. But uh, like, exactly like you're saying. But if you just go in there to walk around to browse, then you're going to come out with like a, a shopping cart full of books and records oh, and yeah. everything else in there. Yeah, those half price books are amazing places. Well, we didn't even talk about like artist, you know, monographs or anything. Like you know, if you go get the Edward Stecken, uh, you know, Ultimate Guide, to, you know, stuff like that. Which is, I mean, you can learn. It's not how to stuff, but it's just you know, compilations of other people's work and and what you can learn from that. That's well, really another you, subject. You have the whole series of the Ansel Adams book that he wrote um uh yes and uh highly recommended even to this day um the print well actually it's the camera the print and the negative right Mm -hmm. but not that order the camera the negative and the print and uh yeah ansel adams who if you're not familiar with you need to go find out really quickly (laughs) uh, who's actually been in the news a lot this week did you did you hear the news story right because someone thinks that they have found oh god 200 million dollars worth of slides of his well yeah could not be his or something self-appraised at 200 million the other thing that's interesting, too, is, and there's an argument for this, and, and uh, uh, well, the guy who said this was the, the director of the Ansel Adams Trust, and uh, he said, and I agree with this completely, and I know Ansel would roll in his grave and jump out to agree, too, but, but uh, you know, okay, you found some negatives. You can't price those at the same price as a finished product, because Ansel, a lot of his artistic additions were in the printing process in the dark Burning room. and dodging. And, Absolutely. And the, well, yeah, development That's, that's like saying I found, you know, a card full of raw files from somebody well they're not finished you know no. and uh yeah maybe they're worth something well and there's also if you haven't seen the story there's uh the trust does not believe they were his and and ansel's his son or grandson um basically the the handwriting on the package uh had some locations that these things were shot at near yosemite his mother mm-hmm. was from that area and most of it was misspelled he said there's no way she'd be misspelling things you know and I, <laughs> so it's like okay but what's even dumber is this guy is just like mad now and he's hired a bunch of attorneys to go up sure. against the ansel estate and now what he's going to do is is put out a website and he's hired some photographer to like start printing these negatives in the dark room they're going to sell prints and it's kind of like okay first of all i don't know if you've seen them but they're not great 
I mean, well, there it, were two other photographers in the news that they were talking about that said that they shot very similar style to Ansel Adams at the time. Yeah, absolutely. One was like a hippie, and one was like a professional or a professor or something like that. But they never came to the status that Ansel did. And, and, and his family and, and his foundation everything uh, said it's pretty much because Ansel – even though they all shot in the same locations in the same kind of style, that his stuff stood apart because um, of uh, his little personal, you know, technique and style. Sure. So they they think that you know that they'll be, be you know easily able to to disprove what this guy's saying just because of that alone. Oh, he's probably trying to drum up enough controversy over it so at least a museum's interested in purchasing him on that alone. But but it's it, what's what's ridiculous is people see dollar signs in their eyes and they're like, yeah. it's like, dude, you found some negatives. You're not going to be Ansel Adams. Even if there are hope, Ansels, I, I think everybody in the world would hope that they would be Ansel Adams. I mean, who would? Absolutely, yeah. But you'd at love the same to see time, that. See this guy getting super greedy and law, lawyers starting to get involved and all this kind of stuff. You know, this guy just thinks he's found a, a jackpot of yeah, gold. Oh, sure. And, well, and the, he did say he found a box. I mean, the ones that I've seen online are okay shots, but they're not up on the quality level that most of what Ansel did. And of course, the, 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 the negatives. You know, it's you're only going to get so much out of that. But right. Anyway. We're off okay, topic, so do we want to uh, close it off with the with our pick of the week? Yeah, let's do pick of the week. Why don't you go first? Okay, so yeah, my pick of the day you just mentioned. I'm going to go ahead and, and say the big three, the Ansel books. The first one's called The Camera, their series. Uh, the second one's called The Negative, and the third is called The Print. If you're into film photography at all, um, The Negative is still today very um, uh, relevant, and and it's it's still the thesis. It's the treatise on, on, uh, on this stuff. You, you know, it's not going to get any better. Um, so that, that yeah, I definitely recommend those in the print if you're if you're doing darkroom and stuff at all. I mean these are the classics. They're they're just kind of the staple, and they're pretty easy to find and they're easy to find used. And and uh, there's there's really no excuse not to have them. Even the camera, if you're starting out, uh, it's kind of interesting. I think it has value because it's dated. Because in the camera, do you have that one? Um. You know, I, I have a bunch of stuff in storage right now, and I have one of them in storage. I, but I thought you had the camera. Is. But anyway, the yeah. camera, basically, it talks about, um, you know, there were no digital cameras when this was written. It was probably written in the 40s, the 50s, somewhere around, probably the 40s. Anyway, but he goes through, like, medium format, 35 millimeter. That, that's known as the amateur format in there. And then they talk about large format. And they talk about, you know, how they work, what you're looking for when you buy one, what you want in a lens, all these things. And it's funny because I think you can still take those basic concepts and apply them to digital photography now. Absolutely. You know, uh, you have better stuff now than they had when when Ansel wrote that. Especially with you know some of the Ni- lenses that Nikon and Canon are doing are just you know absolutely phenomenal. And uh, anyway, so those those are the three that I recommend. You're going to have to find them used. Um, I would look on if you want to do it online. Amazon might have them, one of their resellers, or Powell's. I keep mentioning, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Is Powell's is a used bookstore, and they're kind of the Amazon of used books. I've had very good luck purchasing stuff through them, and and they ship it right to you, and they're very affordable and cheap, and all that. Good stuff. So, right, those are mine. Uh, yeah, well, whenever I think of those books or any kind of books that are they're much older like that and, and using older technology, I kind of always think of like uh, if it was a, a book called The Gun, and uh, it's about <laughs> it was about handguns and old pistols from the Wild West, and you like read it and you like learned all about uh, ammunition and guns and how they worked and gunpowder and this and that or whatever, and then uh, someone handed you a machine gun, uh, and I mean you wouldn't go. I have no idea how to use this. Yeah, thing. that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny thing because you know it's funny that you even use that as an example because I'm sure marksmen or people who are really into guns like that right. would have a historical understanding of things. And you have to. yeah, I think any any industry um, or craft or whatever you're looking at, I think it's like that. You know, I think it's always good to go back and start in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, anybody who's into art or or guns or or anything, boats. Knows knows every everything that was made from the very beginning till yeah. now, and uh, there's a good reason for that. Not to only have the history and the knowledge, but but to uh, you know be able to improve your skills using using that information. From well, that's the key. Now. You know, the, there's a phrase "standing on the shoulders of giants," and I, that's what that means. It's it's like yeah. don't reinvent the wheel. Don't go you know start from scratch with something when you can take what somebody's already mastered as a starting point. You're going to get so much better doing that. You know. Right. Why learn blindly starting right now when, uh, you know, the the people who have been doing this for hundreds of years or whatever, you can take all that knowledge and use it and move forward. Sure. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So my pick of the week is um, 
from Joe McNally, who I've mentioned several times. I'm a big fan of his. I've, I've read all of his books and uh, the, the, uh, the video tutorials online that we mentioned earlier. Um, or Kelby Training, he's one of the main photographers on there. And the reason I'm so into him is that when I started shooting professionally, I wanted to learn how to light uh, quickly and with with lightweight gear, um, without having maybe having have an assistant at every single shoot uh, to be able to do it at the drop of a hat. If somebody called me and said, "Wait, can you come in 30 minutes? Uh, do you have the lighting gear ready? Can you come by yourself? Whatever." I could. And so the, there's huge movement has been out in the last few years called the Strobus movement, which is using uh, lightweight gear and off-camera flash to uh, to replicate um, the same kind of lighting as large strobes. And so the book that I'm uh, that I'm picking here is called The Hot Shoe Diaries from Joe McNally, and it's using uh, it's getting big light from small flashes and. Um, this is something that I just want to continue to learn more and more, and he is the master of it right now that's alive and living and doing, you know, writing books and doing these video tutorials and doing seminars all the time. So there's a ton of stuff that you can learn from him, but there's also the strobus.com out there, which is people from all around the world. It's a blog that they're putting in their information and they're telling what they're using, whether you're a Canon uh, user or a Nikon user, it doesn't matter. You know, you can, you can use these techniques uh, doing both. But in our day and time, uh, with all the modern technology that we have, um, it's so great to be out there and, and go and shoot. You and I did a little photo shoot together just last week. At, yeah, the uh, stuff we, that's on the website. The stuff that's on the website. And that was just fun. And, and I set up, and we shot, and I broke it down, and we got professional, great-looking uh, you know, pictures in, what, 45 minutes? Dude, I've, I've got to back you up on that. You did show up with a cool, portable little rig that <laughs> got was really just, good results. It was results. just me. I was carrying my camera bag on one arm. And your and, little light and, bag. And my light bag uh, of umbrellas and stands and things in the in, in the other uh, on the other arm, and that's it. Yeah, we used two flashes, and that was it. And they're, and they're two flashes, yeah, right? And two flashes. You know, Joe uh, McNally starts off. He'll show you how to use one flash and make a ton of stuff look great, and then he'll show you how to use two. Then he'll show you how to use three, and then he'll show you how to use eighteen. Wow, that's so awesome! <laughs> and, uh, that stuff will blow your mind. Yeah, and probably something you may never do in, unless you're a, a photographer of his status. But um, at the same time, learning how to use one and two and three and only have that in your bag, this stuff is very affordable compared to strobes. It's very lightweight. Um, it's just easy to use. So. What's the name of the book again? The name of the book again is The Hot Shoe Diaries. All right, I'm going to have to get this. Yeah, and it's great. And um, uh, I also mentioned a video earlier that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with The Hot Shoe Diaries. It's from Nikon School. It's called A Hand-On, Hands-On Guide to Creative Lighting. You know, it's uh, weird because you mentioned that a couple of years ago when that started to get big, I kind of wrote it off immediately thinking, well, why would you want to use camera flashes to reproduce lighting? You know, Nikon had their right. creative lighting system. And, and, and stupidly, I kind of wrote it off. But what's cool is, like, if you're, if you're not familiar with this, there really is a neat look to it. Um, that yeah, I mean, we we would have had to have much more expensive and intensive gear to and a longer setup time to get the shots that we did had we not been yeah. doing them that way. And it's amazing. What's really cool too, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but like you know, you have photographers like uh, Gregory Crudson comes to mind that have these cinematic kind of outdoor scenes at night and stuff, and like they've used them to like accent lights and trees and things. And it's just brilliant the stuff yeah. that people are doing with this. It's with, portable light, which is I mean, great yeah. to have. You know, no matter where you are, if you're in the field, if you if you have a studio, uh, uh, and, and people are all, and you're the kind of photographer that people are always coming into your studio, and you can have uh, big expensive strobes and big big lights and 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 uh, soft boxes and all these kind of things. Um, that's wonderful. That's the way to go. Right. But if you are a photographer like I am, or a lot of people are, and you're doing this as a hobby or professionally or whatever, but you're in the field a lot, you're out on the street. You're a street photographer. You're in the jungle, uh, or you know, or you're just going to, to set up portraits at someone's house real quick and then and pack up and leave again by yourself. Then this is strong, uh, big, you know, nice light that yeah. is very lightweight and portable that you can take with you anywhere. So that's that's the strong. Well, yeah, uh, some, I mean, it doesn't require. Like you said you could be in the jungle. It doesn't require. You got battery power. That's you all it is. Power, right. Yeah. You're not you're not having to hook up to, to anything. Yeah, and you don't have the big power thing with the snake that goes in and the yeah. It's just it's it's amazing. 
right. the amount of still, electricity those things take. You still get great results. You can shoot through umbrellas. Uh, last week I was showing you, you can shoot through a, a, a light. There's light boxes of different sizes for these flashes. Oh, yeah, the, little, the snout and the, the grid and all right, that. Right, right. There's all, yeah, there's, so there, there's all kinds of great things that you can, that you can hook up I'm to. I'm going to order your pick of the week today, I think. Do it. I'm on it, man. Amazon. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay, we went, well, I, we, think, I think that's kind of all we have on that, unless you had something to add. I don't have anything else to add. It's been a good show. Okay. That'll work. It. We'll catch you guys next week on The Photography Show. See ya. See ya.